Section 4 of The Three Hours' Agony of Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Mike Shepard. The Three Hours' Agony of Our Lord Jesus Christ by Reverend Peter Gilday. Third Word Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus is to speak for the last time to his mother. Jesus and Mary, Mary and Jesus, mother and son, one heart and one soul. His sorrow, her sorrow. His heart, her heart. Union ineffable and divine, who will ever penetrate therein. Every wound she sees, every sign and sigh of pain, all the weariness, all the agony, she feels and reproduces in her innermost being. In every inward anguish that racked his soul, in every cruelty of his executioners, in the blasphemies of the mob and the impenitence of the thief, in every thought that springs from the divine heart of her son to his eyes and lips, she, mother of the humanity that suffers, mother of the divinity which wills that suffering, mother of Christ the anointed, she touches the utmost depths of sorrow, she finds herself falling and sinking into an ocean of bitterness and pain. Ah, call her not Noemi, that is, beautiful, but call her Mara, that is, bitter, for the Almighty hath quite filled her soul with sorrow. The parting was now about to come, the farewell word to be spoken. Never had she forsaken him a moment. In his infancy, in his childhood, in his young manhood, in his years of public teaching, in his passion, the heart of Christ knew that his divine mother was always near. She had passed silently along throughout the weary march to the Mount of Calvary. At one moment they had met, and a word of tenderest love had passed between them. For an instant their hands touched the cross together, and then she was thrust back into that mob thirsting for his death by the soldiers who knew not who she was, nor cared. Nearby she was while they crucified him, and as her heart stood still, the cross was raised on high, and the agony began. As she gazes upon him, covered with blood, naked and bruised from head to foot, her soul looks back through the years, the all-too-short years of their companionship, and she cannot help linking the beginning with the end. In Calvary she sees Bethlehem, in the wood of the cross, the wood of the manger, in the nakedness of Golgotha, the poverty of the stable. Bethlehem, the morning of their lives together, with all the dewy freshness of the newborn day, visions itself before her, contrasts itself with Calvary and its night, its black night without a star. And after Bethlehem, she sees Nazareth, Nazareth the silent, Nazareth the mysterious, Nazareth and his childhood and the long days of waiting, of waiting hand in hand for the Almighty Father to speak to his Son and bid him take the road that leads to Capharnaum, to Jerusalem, and to this. Theirs had been an idyllic life together, a life in which their hearts had sung in unison the glorious Magnificat of the Eternal Father. Together, Mary and Jesus had walked those years, years hidden by the cloud of God's own making, and no one can ever hope to penetrate their love and devotion, the divine sons for his mother, Mary's for him. Vaguely only can we picture their perfect love. 
Faintly only can we understand the scene at Bethlehem. Never can we approach the full comprehension of the scene on Calvary. Mary's was a heart of a perfect mother. Jesus had the heart of a perfect son. Their sorrow, as their eyes met on Golgotha, is too sacred for us to realize, for it was as boundless as the love which had knit their souls together in the tenderest union this world has ever witnessed. All through those years at Nazareth, the shadow of the cross fell upon their home. Each succeeding day brought with it new revelations of love, brought also nearer the day of atonement for the sins of men. Mary's courage had never once faltered. It was not to falter now at the end. She had followed him from Pilate's house to Calvary. No one knew the mystery of his passion and death as she did. Every aspect of that awful drama was fraught with meaning to her. But her mother's heart could not still the anguish which threatened to engulf her. The cries she heard about her pierced her soul with unspeakable sorrow. The scenes she was forced to witness in order to remain with him to the end were harrowing her very soul with a pain that no comfort would ever again on this earth banish from her heart. Martyr that she was, she stood erect and valiant at the foot of the cross, at the foot of that altar of the Holocaust, with an invincible constancy, like a rock in the midst of the waves which batter themselves to pieces without crushing it. But above and beyond all this suffering was a grief which struck deep, like a blow in the dark, the abandonment of Christ. Was this not her son, who had cast out devils, who had cured all manner of diseases? Was he not the divine healer who raised the daughter of Jairus to life, who gave to the dead son of the widow of Nairn a second life, a soul anew? Was this not the master, the ever-loving master, whom Peter and James and John had seen transfigured on Tabor in all the glory and freshness of the heavenly dream? Was not this the kind father who had desired the little ones to come to him, who had fed at one time five thousand men and women, and yet where were they all? Here and there, in the excited crowds of Calvary, Mary could see the frightened face of the woman Jesus cured by his very shadow. There was the blind man who now could see, there the twitching lips and clenched hands of Nicodemus. But where were the hosts of his followers? Where were those who wished to make him king? Where were his apostles, his disciples, his friends? Is there no one to come forth courageously from the crowd and profess his belief in the dying Son of God? Is there none but the thief on the cross? Had all the exquisite loveliness of the Sermon on the Mount been wasted like the fragrance of a summer on the desert air? Would no one speak a word of comfort to her son? Must these blasphemous cries of the high priest and the people go on to the end? Must she stand alone in her sorrow and her grief? Oh, the bitterness of that abandonment! Good Jesus, must she suffer more? Must she take upon her at thy command the motherhood of this race of cowards, this race of sinners to which we all belong? She has listened to the lying witnesses at his trial. She saw him cast aside for the robber and murderer Barabbas. She heard the cries and shouts of the multitude before Pilate's house demanding his death, heard the words of doom, crucify him, crucify him. She watched as only a mother can, as they laid him upon the cross, listened to the sharp blows of the hammer driving the nails through those hands and feet she had caressed at Bethlehem thirty years before. 
saw the crown of thorns pressed more deeply into the sacred brow she had kissed in the days at Nazareth. She quailed as the sounds of the hammering thrilled through her soul with immeasurable pain. She waited as the cross was lifted on high, waited until the end. And when those words were spoken, spoken with all the gentleness of a son, but with the command of a god, the sword of sorrow was plunged deeper into her heart. For Jesus, her Lord, had given her a new motherhood, a motherhood which embraced the sinners of that day, the sinners from that time until now. Only for an instant did it blind her with its bitterness, and then there lightninged through her soul what God had really done. He had made her forever the co-redeemer with Christ of the whole human race. This was a new Bethlehem, a new Nazareth, which extended from pole to pole where every human heart would find its home and marry its mother in God. She should be a refuge of sinners, the help of Christians, the comfort of the afflicted, the health of the sick, the cause of our joy, and the gate of heaven. Jesus knew better than the saints and angels how weak and uncertain the human race would be to the end. And after having promised us all through the penitent thief paradise for repentance, after having assured us of pardon for our sins, be they red as scarlet, his love for us must embrace more still. There was only one treasure left. He had given us himself in the blessed sacrament of the altar. He had given us his love and forgiveness, and one treasure remained, even that we should have. We poor, feeble children, who were being orphaned as he died on the cross. Son, behold thy mother. With these words, she, the rarest and fairest, the divine mother of God, God's choicest treasure and most wondrous creature, she was given to us for our mother. Son, behold thy mother. And sons and daughters of her are we, sons and daughters of the handmaid of the Lord, who spoke with archangels and angels, and who now reigns as queen over his heavenly court, sons and daughters whose highest guarantee of salvation is in resembling her, in her humility, in her purity, in her patience and sorrows. Blessed Mother of God, never have we deserved such a treasure as thee, but take us tenderly and gently to thy innermost home, thy heart of hearts, wherein we poor banished children of Eve may dwell, and comfort us who are mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Thou art our chief refuge in the trials and temptations with which the evil one assails us. Thou art the conqueror of Satan, and thy presence encourages us in the battle of life. Thy blessed eyes look upon us with a mother's love as they gaze today upon the dying Savior. Thy blessed hands will guide us, thy blessed arms are around us, protecting and guarding us, and the remembrance of thy heroic courage at the foot of the cross will strengthen us to go on nobly to the Calvary of our own lives, yielding every ounce of our strength, every drop of our blood, every heartbeat, every sigh and tear in reparation for our sins, struggling like our divine master up the rocky sides of the Golgothic mountain of life to die in the arms of God, our work accomplished, our sacrifice complete, thy sons and daughters, victims to our love for Jesus Christ the Lord. End of section four, read by Mike Shepherd.